Uh, we were looking at some of the last things that Jesus said while he was alive in the last four weeks uh, leading up here to Easter. And so we've looked at a, a bunch of things Jesus talked about and did. And I, this morning, want to show you what I think might be the last words Jesus said before he died. Now, spoiler alert, there's more to the story than him just dying, as you find out next week. And he had a lot more to say when he comes back. But before he dies, as Jesus was like hanging on a cross, dying, brutal, he had three words that he said. Here, here's what he said. It's finished. He's dying on a cross. And he he cries out, it is finished, and then he dies. That's in John chapter 19. Here's what's so funny. Like, you think about these words. What is it? What did Jesus actually do when he died? When he's sitting there and he says, it is finished, what's he talking about? What did he accomplish? What was it all about? You know, it's so funny because a lot of us, you know, we, we might go through life and we're you know, wearing a cross or uh, we've got one up in our house. Or I remember like when I was a little kid, I don't know where I got this from, but I had two popsicle sticks that I put in the shape of a cross and I put magnets on the back and then I wrote Jesus loves me on it and it was stuck to our refrigerator. And you know, so we go around and we see this symbol all the time, but what does it mean? Here's the thing. I actually am hoping, this is my prayer this morning. I, I'm praying that as you go through what we call Holy Week here, as you come to today, what we call Palm Sunday, I, I'm praying today that this week, you will never see this week the same after our conversation this morning. That, that's actually what I've been praying this week, is that you will walk through this week in a different way, and we will understand what it really is, okay? Okay. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little different. I need you guys to help me, and so I'm going to get some, uh, I'm going to get different sections of the room. I need you to start thinking in a certain way this morning. So I'm going to coach you on what I need, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through what happened this week leading up to Jesus dying in a way that I think is going to help all of us understand what actually went down and who the players were that were involved. So I'm going to introduce you here to the first player that's going to help us understand this week. The first, first people you've got to understand what they were up to this week are those crazy guys, the Romans. Uh, the Romans were so genius. They're the only people in history who were smart enough to think to take, you know the scraper that's in your car where you scrape the um, snow off your car? They actually were so smart. They took it and they busted it in half and took the brush end and then they put it in their helmets. That's just genius stuff, you know? And so what, what I want to do is I want to think through for a second. Uh, here's the deal. Y'all right here, this group, you guys are my Romans today, okay? Romans. Before you get too psyched, Brian, you're going to wait and want to hear what's going on with you, okay? You guys are going to be my Romans this morning. And here's what I want you to think. We are after one thing. There's one thing we care most about. Control. We want to control people. We want to dominate. We want to control the world. In fact, by the time Jesus comes along, we've been doing pretty good. We've only been at it like 60, 70 years, but look how much of the world we've already got under our control. Check out this uh, slide here. We're doing okay. We own most of Europe, 
We've got uh, Jerusalem. We've got a lot of North Africa. What we want to do is maintain it and expand it. And so here's what we're going to do. In order to control people, right? All these people over here. We'll, tell, we'll talk about them in a second. In order to control these people, we have got to think of ways that absolutely terrify them. So what they did, these guys were geniuses at figuring out how to scare and manipulate and terrify. These guys took an old method of torture and perfected it. A few hundred years before the Romans came on the scene, somebody awful had the idea that we're going to actually kill someone by putting them on two wooden beams and we're going to use that as a way that if anybody ever tries to rise up against us, we're going to use this method of torture to make sure that everybody sees it and no one ever wants to do it again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take that old method, but we're going to perfect it. We're going to make it more cruel, more awful. We're going to, before we put them on a cross and nail them in there, we're going to take a whip and what, what, what these guys decided to do is they took a whip and they put metal on the end of the tip because what they wanted to do is hit you with it and have the whip wrap around you and actually hold onto your skin and pull it out of your body. And so we're not just going to crucify people. We're going we're gonna to beat them beforehand. We're going to do it publicly. You know, how, you know how in the U.S. with capital punishment, the, the goal in some ways in the U.S. is to do it privately and quickly. We're going to do it publicly, and we want it to last as long as it can. In fact, it, it sometimes people think when you were crucified, you may have lived up to nine days on a cross. We want that. That's exactly what we want because we have to keep these guys under control. We never want anyone to rise up against us. They, we used to think that the way people died when they were on a cross was that they died from lack of oxygen, and that's one of the ways because you're, you're on a cross, your feet are nailed, your hands are nailed, you sink down because you're so tired, but you can't breathe if you're sunk down, so you have to push up off the nail, and you get air, but then inevitably you're back down again, and you keep doing that until you just can't do it anymore. You can't get air in your lungs, and, and you die. It turns out... The, the more recent kind of research on how you die on a cross isn't just that you uh, suffocate. Look at, look at this list. And we perfected this, guys. Cardiac rupture, heart failure, hypovolemic shock, acidosis, asphyxia, right? That's not getting there. Uh, I can't even say that word. Pulmonary embolism, sepsis, scourging, that's the beating, dehydration, just leave them out there. You see that last one? Animals. You know, you sometimes see these pictures of Jesus way up on a cross high. We actually think that Jesus may, the crosses may have been low to the ground. Why? Because we've figured out that if you leave them out overnight, you get wild dogs and wolves and animals that come along. And that's one way we can kill them on a cross. These guys, anybody who's thinking about revolting against us, they're not going to like that. We, we Romans have something that we remember that we're going to make sure never happens again. Okay. In the like 60s, 70s, some of you guys have seen this old movie. There was a revolt that we never want to see happen again. It was a, by a guy named Spartacus. You guys remember this? Some of you old timers have seen the old movie. This is like the newer version of Spartacus that's on stars. 
this is not going to surprise you. They actually asked me to play this role, um, this, uh, this guy. And I told him, yeah, you know, I'm, just, I'm a little busy watching the Rockies lose on my couch, so I can't play it right now. But uh, what Spartacus did was Spartacus was a slave who escaped. Spartacus gets a bunch of guys to go in with him. They start to fight against the Romans. Believe it or not, they actually started having success. And they started winning, and they had more people then come to them. And they start building this army that's starting to make movement against the Romans. And we want control. This is not good. And so Spartacus starts moving against us. And what happens is, is eventually we go, okay, enough's enough. We send in our best general, a guy named Pompey. We send him down. He cuts off Spartacus' supply. Spartacus rides out with one last kind of flame of glory and dies. Sorry, spoiler. And then... Um, and then there were guys that were with Spartacus, and, and we capture them. And so the Romans captured 6,000 guys that were with Spartacus. Anybody want to guess what we did with those 6,000 guys? We crucified them. So what the Romans did, they took the 6,000 Spartacus followers, and they crucified them along a 120-mile road. I want you to get your mind around this for a second. Uh, the distance between Denver and Glenwood Springs, if you go on I-70, is 120 miles. Imagine driving that road and every 120 feet there was a guy crucified on the roadside. Every, like, telephone pole, that's what you see. We do that because we want control, right? This is the Hunger Games. This is the capital. We will do whatever it takes to keep the districts in line. And that's what the Romans did. And they would use that torture method as the thing. That's how we do things, okay? So that's character one. I'm gonna get to you guys, okay? Here's who you guys are, and this is really important to understand. You guys are, I don't really like you guys, actually. You guys, you guys are the religious leaders. Isn't that ironic that I would say that? Um, here's, here's what we want. You, you guys right here. This is, this is our religious leaders. We're in control. We're, we're the ones who lead the temple. We're the ones who are in charge of all the kind of religious activities during, in Israel during the time. Here's what we want. We also want control, but we want to control people's behavior. Here's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that if these guys, and we'll talk about them in a second, we're afraid of, that if they get out of line in any way, they start drifting away from the old law of following God, that if, if our nation starts to go in a different direction, that what's going to happen is the same thing that happened hundreds of years ago. We're actually going to be taken over by some foreign army. What we remember is the day hundreds of years ago where Babylon came in, this crazy other country, comes in and takes us by force away, forces us to go be slaves in this faraway place. We're terrified of that happening again. We need to control people's behavior so God doesn't like give up on us again. And in fact, we even think that the fact that the Romans are in control of us now is a sign that this is starting to happen. Guys, this is why this Jesus guy is a major problem to us. Jesus is trouble for us. He is saying stuff and doing stuff that I'm telling you, if people start believing him and following him, we will never get rid of these Romans. 
Stuff like this. Can you believe Jesus says this to somebody? I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Okay, Abraham was born hundreds and thousands of years ago. If Jesus is saying that he was existed before some guy that long ago, and he's using the word I am, which is the word that God uses for himself, he's basically saying he's God on earth. I'm telling you guys, if, if people start believing this, we are never going to get rid of those guys. We're going to be, we are going to be in trouble for, it's going to get worse unless we stop guys like Jesus. Look at what else Jesus did. This is in Matthew 14. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God. Okay, so he's going to accept people's worship. Jesus is saying he's God and he's using these like little trick miracles to get everybody to believe him. And if these guys all start to believe and follow him, we are in a world of hurt. And this last one, oh, Jesus says this, the Father and I are one. Most important words in what we believe as religious leaders are the words, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Some guy from some city we've never heard of comes along and says that he and God are one? We can't allow this to happen. If, if Jesus does this, we will never rid ourselves of these guys. Now, one of us has a brilliant idea. Do you remember? You remember when Jesus was born. You remember when the wise men showed up, those magi from the east. Remember when they showed up? You remember what they said? They said, hey, we've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. We have come to, remember what they called him? The king of the Jews. You know what? We gotta latch onto this. If, if we can make sure that everybody knows that Jesus thinks he's a king, and every time Jesus makes some kind of comment on like that, one of us is gonna run right over here to the Romans and say, hey, that Jesus guy's talking about him being a king. You remember Spartacus. Don't let this happen again. Here he comes. That's how we're going to get rid of him. That's how we're going to say goodbye to Jesus. Now you guys, you guys actually really play this part really well. You're the commoners. <laughs> Perfect. Here's what we want. We got one thing we care about. Romans care about control. The religious leaders care about controlling your behavior. All we want, we just want someone to rescue us. We just want out of this mess. We just want, we're tired of paying taxes to those guys way over there. We just want to be our own people, like leave us alone, get us back. In fact, you know what we really want? When we think, you know, these guys all have their history, the thing we care about the most in our history, do you guys remember when David was in charge? David was the king. There was never a better time for us. We just want to go back to that. Can we please go back to that? In fact, if you read our holy scripture, our prophets, 
They talk about a day when that's going to come back. Think about what Amos said, right? Uh, Here in Amos, in that day I will restore the fallen house of David. Yes, that's what we need. I'll repair its damaged walls from the ruins I will rebuild it. And I will restore its former glory. That's what we need. We need rescuing. We need those guys gone. In fact, there was um, another time too. It wasn't just David. A couple hundred years before the time of Jesus, there was uh, another king that came along. Uh, There was a group of brothers named the Maccabees who came in and they kicked out this foreign army and they took back over. And and if if not David, could we at least get back to the Maccabees? Man, we remember that time. In fact, we have a coin. We have a coin that we use that has the first brother, Judah Maccabee, on the coin. And what was he holding in his hand? He's holding a palm branch. The palm branch is the sign of a king, the sign of victory, the sign that we're going to revolt and come back. Those guys, those Romans are going to be gone. And the palm branch is the sign of the Maccabees, the return of this. So here we are on Palm Sunday. With that in mind, hey, there's just a little context These are the players. With that in mind, I want you to look at what happened on this day that we call Palm Sunday through a new lens. Check out what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day and all of you are here ready for him. Look at at these words. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. What are you guys thinking? Yes! What are you guys thinking? We're watching. We're ready. What are you guys thinking? We're prepared. We're prepared to do what we need to do. A large crowd of Passover visitors came out and took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. Some of you guys have been in church your whole life. Surely you've been in a service where we line the like, rows with the little kids and they all uh, have the palm branches and we all you know, sing Hosanna, Hosanna, because that's one of the words that they cried out when Jesus came in. Uh, and, and so we've got the palm branches. There's not a bigger sign of misconception of who Jesus is than a palm branch. Ironically, these, this, is, this is you guys saying, here comes our king. Here comes our conqueror who's going to kick the Romans out. They came out with palm branches and they went down the road to meet him and they shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to who? Hail to the king of Israel. You guys love that. (laughs) If they're going to be saying hail to the king of Israel, that gives you all the leverage that you need with the Romans. And they start crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. If you've ever wondered what that word is, maybe you've sung it before. It just means save us, save us. And what do you mean? You mean save us from those guys, save us from the Romans. That's what you're crying out that day. That's, That's what happened on Palm Sunday. Isn't it incredible in that context that Jesus doesn't come in on a big white horse with a sword and a helmet. He comes in over those palm branches on a donkey. And he rides in as humble as he could be with a different plan. You know, some of the people in this group over here we're cheering at him, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, hail to the king. Some of you guys go to them and say, 
wait, and you talk to Jesus and you say, you got to stop them from saying that. You can't let them say, that's blasphemy. And Jesus' response, Jesus doesn't downplay all this. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If I told them to be quiet, even the rocks would start singing because Jesus is a king. But he's a king than a whole lot more than Israel. He's a king of all creation. He owns it all. The rocks will cry out. Nothing can stop this moment because I am a king, but I'm not the kind of king that you think I am. And so Jesus comes into town and he flips over tables in the temple, which even stirs this up even more because people were getting ripped off. And Jesus teaches with passion and everybody's watching it with their own mindset. How is this week going to unfold? It's all coming to a head right now until the tragedy happens. One of us over here in this group named Judas. Who, who wants to be Judas, by the way? Okay, good. No, 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 no. That was a trick question. I'm really, you guys passed. Yeah, good. Somebody from this group finally decides, you know what? He's not going to do it. He, he's not going to actually be the conquering guy that we wanted. I might as well profit off it. And so the thought is, well, we can't arrest him during the daytime, because if we do, everybody else is going to riot because they're still thinking. We're, the most common people are still thinking like, oh, he's going to be this conquering hero. We can't arrest him during the daytime. We've got to figure out a way to involve these guys, but do it at a time where no one's going to know. And so Judas comes to this group, our religious leaders, and he says, hey, I've got a deal to cut with you. Uh, I can get you Jesus. I can, I can deliver him to you no no problems, no riots, no nothing. I know exactly where he is and I know exactly when he'll be there. All I need, 30 pieces of silver. Gladly. They pay Judas. And then this group goes to you and says, Romans, we're delivering the king of the Jews to you. This is your chance to cut short any sort of Spartacus moment. I'm going to deliver Jesus into your hands. Just give us some of your troops. And so they do. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him, now with blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, right? Let's go get Jesus with all these weapons. They arrived at the olive grove. Then Simon Peter, because Simon's over here, all those disciples, all those guys who've been with Jesus, they're all sitting in this group over here, and they're still, we're still confused. Simon, who's, who's his bud, Simon's, pulls out his sword, and he slashes off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. That's going to go over well. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given to me? And another uh, gospel, uh, one of my favorite lines that Jesus ever says is, when Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off this guy's ear, Jesus turns to him and says, hey, don't you know that I could have 72,000 angels show up and take care of this? Whoo, all right, drop the mic, right? That's, that's it. Jesus has another motivation going on here. He's our, he's our fourth. What's he up to? Is he just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was he, um, you know, some people today like to paint Jesus as like the great social worker. 
Is that really what gets you killed? Now, there's a lot more play here than that. And in fact, Jesus, it, it, very clear, he's doing this voluntarily. Look at what he says to his disciples. This is long before he dies. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. It's up to me. I'm going to do this. Why? When we, when we think of those words, it is finished. What is it? What does that trip to the cross for him actually mean? Well, it, that's what happened. They took him and they hand him over to you Romans, and you did what you do. You take him and you beat him, and you put that 100-pound beam on his back, and you force him to carry it out to the site where we're going to kill him. And we march him down the most busy street in Jerusalem, the Via Dolorosa, so that everybody can see it, everybody can spit on him, all the like bridges people are hanging off as Jesus kind of makes his march through there. And they parade him out, and they put him on the cross, and they kill him. Why did Jesus do that? The night before all this happens, Jesus makes it actually really clear. And I, I, my hope this week is that we go through it. It's so ironic that everybody was so confused about what was happening that week. All, all three groups are confused. And isn't it just true today that we're always confused, right? We reject Jesus because he wasn't what we wanted him to be. Well, that's still true today. We reject Jesus because he doesn't fit into our church structure. Well, that's a reason why people reject Jesus today. We, we reject Jesus for political reasons. Yeah, that's, that's still going on today. It's a, we still come to the table confused about what this is all about. But Jesus, the night before he dies, makes it clear when he sits down with his followers with bread and wine, and he says this, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant, the promise. I'm making you a new promise. These guys think they know what the promise is. Okay, they don't. I'm making you a new promise. Between God and his people, it's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. You want Hosanna? You want to be saved? You got it. It's not the kind of saving that you thought it was going to be. I'm going to save you from yourself. I'm going to save you from that part of you that is so insidious and yet takes over us, that pushes away from God, that harms other people, harms ourselves, harms relationships, harms the world that we live in. Sin is such a massive problem that the solution has to be massive too. The solution is so great because the problem is so great. And so I am willing to see God himself on earth tortured and murdered to handle this issue. Man, whew, that tells you something about the nature of sin. Because we, we can't really celebrate the joy of Easter without understanding the depth of the problem. 
And the depth of the problem, you can see clearly by the size of the solution that it required to overcome. Jesus is willing to do that. I'm willing to go to that cross to forgive this massive, massive problem of sin. Hosanna, I will save you. I'll save you from yourself. I'll save you from your sin. You'll never, you'll never be captured and enslaved by that again. You may still have the Romans to contend with, but you won't have sin to contend with. I'm here. That's what Jesus was doing when he says, it is finished. Look, look what he um, turns around and says then to you. This is actually in Romans when um, Paul is writing later and he has these incredible graceful words to share. He says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what's amazing to me about this is he didn't, Jesus didn't go to the cross and wait until we all kind of fell on our knees and said, we're sorry. Okay, good. Well, now I'll pay the price. He did it before and, and knowing that many of us never would say that we're sorry. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see who that letter was written to, by the way? Feel the grace, guys. <laughs> this is, it actually is amazing to think there's a little church that's starting in Rome. The very people that would be used to, be, to put Jesus to death and that Paul would write this probably to some people in this new little church who were senators in the army, people that indirectly were contributing to Jesus' death by being a part of that system. All Paul has for them is words of grace. Yeah, he, you even put him to death, but while you were still in that, he, he was willing to do that for you. Christ died for us. The, John says it this way, this is beautiful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's not just for you Romans, the grace. John's saying it's for all of us. That when we believe in him, when we trust him, when we, when we see this incredible graceful thing that Jesus did, there's life, you won't perish. There's a fifth character in the story here. Let me introduce you. The last character is you and me. This isn't a story about history. This is a story that's personal. This is a story about where are we this week? As we, as we walk through this week and we think about Jesus on a cross, I mean, we got options. Judas didn't get it and got as far away from the cross as he could. Peter didn't get it and then kind of was in this middle ground trying to figure out what was going on. What if this week you came to the cross close and you said, thank you? Man, I, I get it. Could you clearly see what Jesus did this week? It starts with actually coming with our hands like this to God and just saying, I, I get my sin. I, I'm amazed that you would be willing to go through what you went through for me. Would you, Hosanna, would you save me, please? Maybe, you never, maybe you've never actually prayed something like that. 
I remember the first time I, when, I, when I was a senior in high school and uh, I like prayed for one of the first times, I remember saying, I actually don't get this, God, but I'm in. It's a great prayer, actually. We don't get it, but we're in. That's my prayer for you this week, that you'd move closer to the cross. And, and so I want to pray uh, this week, and then we'll have just this unbelievable joy next week of that this is not the end of the story. I want to pray for us. And I'm going to leave a moment just for us to talk to God in silence. And then when I'm done, Becky's going to come up and, and sing, and I, she's just going to sing over you. Just listen to the words. Let it be a moment where you pray. So God, we, we trust you and we love you and we thank you. What a crazy week this was when you came into Jerusalem, palm branches flying, and yet you had something totally different in mind and you had something that was so much better. You had something that would last forever, not just a brief moment. You had something that would last even today you had something that mattered for every single person in this room, not just for a few people that lived a couple thousand years ago. God, today we ask that um, we would make that sacrifice something that we honor and love and we talk to you about. So God, just for a minute, we take a moment of silence and just would you talk to us or we talk to you and um, talk to us, God, about where we are and where the cross is and draw us closer to you.